Good morning. Happy Easter. Don't you wish you had an Easter basket like that too? I was disappointed Jim didn't have enough for everybody, but it sure looked good. Well, he is risen. He is not here. Those are the words that uh, Mark has recorded for us. I wonder if any seven words have ever impacted the world quite as much as those. Because with that very simple proclamation, everything changed. And while Mark's gospel sometimes continues on, or Gus continues on for about 12 more verses, the eighth verse of that 16th chapter is really thought by scholars to be the ending of Mark's gospel, uh, which is the first and the oldest of the gospels. And therefore, Mark's gospel and Mark's account of the resurrection is the closest we have in time to the events that we're celebrating today. And so in the eighth verse, they went out, they fled from the tomb, trembling, bewildered, amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hardly a shout of joy, was it? Hardly a great resounding note of triumph. The earliest account of that ancient event is rather subdued and simply quiet. What happened at the tomb in the pre-dawn mist of that morning is described in five very simple verses. The stone is rolled away. A young man dressed in white greets the women who were noticeably alarmed and then gives this brief Easter greeting. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. But there is no appearance of the risen Christ to the women or to anyone else. As Jim was reading his book on, on, was it Happy Easter? Happy, happy day? And that was interesting because we had not talked at all about the message or anything, but the book itself fit in very well with with, uh, my message because I too was thinking back on some of these stories of Jesus. And I was thinking back this week on, on his birth. And you remember the stories in, in Matthew and Luke in particular, these incredible Christmas stories. You know, the announcement of Jesus' birth comes with celestial trumpets and angels singing and winging their way across the heavenly host. Or when Jesus is baptized and he rises from the, the, the river Jordan and, and the heavens open up and a dove descends and all of a sudden God's voice booms out like thunder. I mean, we have none of that fanfare where other people can hear and experience what's going on. And it all made me wonder a little bit if the gospel writers have really given us enough to convince us of the truth of these events. I mean, seriously, is the story told powerfully enough and with enough conviction so that you and I would give our lives over to something so mysterious and so unlikely? What those women and first eyewitnesses encountered when they arrived at the tomb had to be so totally outside the realm of their experience that it didn't even fit with their vocabulary. There were no words to really 
express what was going on. And, and they flee. It's a very strong word. They flee in fear and in silence. We can criticize Mark for not giving more spectacular information. But in his telling of the story, there is what I would call a deep respect for the profound mystery of life in the midst of death. I think the gospel writers are handling this delicately and reverently. It would be like taking a rare and precious jewel and examining it in, in the light and just, you know, just being so awestruck by it. You don't know what to say. And, you know, sometimes, isn't it true, there's great power in saying nothing? There's great power in, in sort of the mystery of what's going on here. Sometimes there's great power when we just whisper a word even to somebody. Uh, maybe just a word of love or a word of hope and, and, it, and it, it's enough to give us uh, a sense of life. Or sometimes, you know, the news that we share can be so devastating like the news of 147 college students in Kenya, their lives being taken in an act of terror. The wail of anguish and the lament of sorrow. And yet there are other times when the news is so good. I remember when I, when I first heard from my wife that our firstborn that she was expecting and, and I was speechless. So it's easy to understand how when they came to the tomb and they saw and they heard that they just didn't know what to say. Now, no doubt not everybody gets this, but while no one disputes Jesus' life and even his death on the cross, the resurrection is, is an altogether different matter. And, and you can pick up books or read on social media or watch movies and all the rest. There's all kinds of theories and explanations for what might have happened. You know, what really happened to Jesus' body? You know, it's possible, some would argue, that the disciples had become uh, uh, so enmeshed in their relationship with Jesus that once he died, they were actually in denial that he died and that they lived out the next 30 years of their life in denial. (laughs) Or or maybe maybe some people will say he really didn't die and, and he was just put in the tomb prematurely and, and he was resuscitated. <laughs> Maybe you've heard theories like that. But actually, I find it very difficult to believe that, you know, it was a matter of the, the disciples living in denial or hallucinating in their deep grief, imagining the whole thing. It's even more difficult for me to believe that the disciples, these very men who just a, a couple of days earlier were so afraid that they would not stick around and witness the crucifixion. They were so afraid of being found out that now, just days or weeks later, they're going to go around and make up this incredible story and then, and then be willing to give their lives for a made-up story. That too is that's just nonsense. 
I just have never bought into any of those arguments because the risen Christ encountered by those disciples was really markedly different from the Jesus that they had spent three years knowing and befriending. He was not a resurrected copy, okay, of the same person. I mean, how can, how can we think of that today? Think of a 3D printer making a Jesus. That's not what he was. And yet, those unanswered questions and our need for answers is part of the reason we're here this morning, I think. And, and maybe like those uh, women who on the first day of the week, they headed to the tomb to take care of some unfinished business. They were there to uh, prepare his body and anoint his body. I wonder if some of us are here today because we too have some unfinished business with Jesus. We're still trying to figure it out and to find out what difference this makes in our lives. I wonder if we too come to houses of worship in record numbers today, yearning to find the one who said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though they die, I promise you, yet shall they live. I think we come here hoping to believe the unbelievable. And that despite the way our world looks, despite the reasons we have to believe otherwise, despite the undeniable fact that you and I one day, we will die, I think we come hoping to hear that death is not the final word. Is that why you came today? Is that what you're here for? Is that the reason you came instead of sleeping in on another holiday weekend? What have you come searching for this morning? You know, in many ways, this day is about the ultimate question of life and death. And the startling Christian claim that Jesus, who was crucified, did not stay dead. And that claim is at the very heart of the Christian faith. The accounts of Jesus' birth, I mean, those are wonderful accounts. They're, they're rich and beautiful in imagery, and we celebrate those, don't we, at, at Christmas time. Or, or the stories of Jesus' miracles, like the, the, the one where Jesus stormed the still that Jim referred to. I mean, those just cause us to sit up and take notice, don't they? But without his death and resurrection, we simply have no reason to hope. None whatsoever. And so the Apostle Paul declared in his first letter to the Corinthians, if Christ is not raised, our preaching is useless and our faith is in vain. So how do we begin to understand what happened after Jesus died? Because whatever happened that morning on the first day of the week after Jesus died, it really is a mystery and mere words cannot do it justice. Words simply cannot capture the full extent of that mystery, nor will reasoning ever stand up to scientific scrutiny. Nobody has ever been able to duplicate a resurrection. But you know what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because this day has never been about what you and I can prove. It's about faith. First, it's about the faith of those women. 
who despite the obstacle of the stone they expected to encounter at the tomb, they were faithful in going to the tomb to do the preparation of his body. And it's about the disciples who, upon hearing this unbelievable news, they faithfully remembered what Jesus had told them all along about how he would be raised from the dead. And when the mysterious man in white tells them that Jesus has gone on ahead of them and is going to meet them in Galilee, this is also about Jesus' faithfulness to the ones he promised he would never leave or forsake. But while this day is about that faith and about our faith, there are also some facts that we need to state. Facts about the resurrection. And I want to just give you some very quickly. Fact number one, Jesus testified to his resurrection from the dead. In Matthew chapter 17 at verse 22, it says, When the disciples came together in Galilee... Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus is giving testimony on his own behalf. And there are similar statements like that in Mark 8 and Luke 9. Fact number two, yes, the tomb was empty. He was not there. No one ever discovered his body. That's just a fact, and we have, to, we have to just take it for what it is. Fact number three, Jesus' disciples were transformed by their encounters with the risen Christ after he had been pronounced dead and buried in a tomb. And this is one of the things that strikes me the most. These men who were so hopeless, so fearful, all of a sudden, within weeks, become bold and confident and courageous, and they begin to witness to this unbelievable story of a resurrection. And you can read these accounts throughout the ending of Luke and Matthew and on throughout the book of Acts and the New Testaments. It's just amazing the transformation these people went through. Fact number four, Paul said that he and 500 others had all seen Jesus alive at the same time from different locations. And that's recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Fact number five, the existence of a thriving early Christian community supports the truth of the resurrection claim. We studied that all the way back in September up until the week before Palm Sunday. The church grew and spread on the power of the testimony that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he is with us today in the Holy Spirit. Fact number six, the Apostle Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, the story of Paul's conversion to becoming a Christian is all about his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. It's a physical encounter where he experienced visibly the risen Christ. And it was because of that that many, many, many times over, Paul risked his life to tell the good news of a risen Christ. Fact number seven, the New Testament witnesses do not sound like, they do not look like men who are out to deceive the world. When you read uh, Peter and you read Paul and you read John and Matthew, these words are not words of gullibility or deception. They're extremely thought out and highly intellectual. Men who ultimately devoted their lives to the truth 
and to honoring God to the degree that they gave their lives for that cause. And fact number eight, believers down through the centuries and right up to today continue to experience the risen Christ in real and personal ways, in life-giving, transformational ways. All of which leads me to conclude that the resurrection is not only something that happened to Jesus, but it is something that happens to his followers in the aftermath of his death. Because resurrection becomes the experience that God's real presence is with us. And we celebrate that this morning in what we call Holy Communion. When we take the bread and we take the juice and we remember Christ's body and his blood shed for us, all of a sudden we become aware of Christ's real presence alive in us, his love empowering us, his forgiveness cleansing us. The real presence of God is with us and it makes a difference in our lives. And a big part of that difference is in how we live and deal with our own grief and loss and how we live into the future God has given us with hope because Easter is not the triumph over the idea of death. It's not a philosophical thing. It is actual victory of life in the midst of death. And if that's true, then it means you and I have some work to do. The scripture says, he's gone ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. In other words, your job as friends and followers of Jesus isn't to stand around the cemeteries of the world tending to the dead. But it is to boldly and confidently follow the living Lord into an uncertain future, proclaiming the good news that he is alive and hope reigns eternal. And so our task as the people of God is to live into that hope, the hope that Easter declares. I wish I could stand before you today and and tell you how God raised Jesus from the dead. And I wish I could tell you all that it was like on that, that morning on the first day of the week and in and around the year 33 A.D., But I believe that in order to experience the risen Christ, what it took then and what it takes today is two things. One, God has to act. And God has done that. God has acted in Jesus Christ and made himself known by raising his son from the dead. And he has set before us life and death and life beyond death. But the second thing it takes is faith. An act of faith. And act on our part of reaching out and taking hold of what God has given us. And I believe that the disciples experienced this. And it wasn't warm thoughts and it wasn't fond memories. It was actually experience, experiencing the risen Christ. This Jesus who died came back to them. And they experienced his presence and they were never again the same. And because people of faith continue to experience the risen Christ today, we can be assured of the ultimate hope that is ours, that our lives have meaning. And our death will not have the last word about us. And and so may the unspeakable good news that we celebrate this Easter empower you 
to live into the future, bursting with hope, trusting that since Jesus has indeed risen, just as he said he would, that nothing in your life need be the same again. It just does not have to be the same again. You are here today, I believe, looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He was crucified, but he has risen. Hallelujah. And amen.